Well, good day, friends, and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 24th of April, 2022. Uh, friends, uh, welcome. My name is Matt. It's wonderful that you're tuning in with us today. Our sentence of scripture for today comes from Psalm 118, and it says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. Of course, that psalm refers to our Lord Jesus, who is our head, our cornerstone. Friends, let's pray as we come to our service today. God of mercy, you wash away our sins. You give us new birth in the spirit and you redeem us in the blood of Christ. As we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, increase our awareness of these blessings and renew your gift of life within us. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Friends, let's go to a time of praise.
Well, we come now to the ministry of God's Word. So friends, I'll invite you to grab your Bible and you might like to read through uh, our readings for today, uh, which are our Old Testament reading is Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. Our psalm for today is Psalm 22. And our New Testament reading is Luke 24, verses 33 to 53, and this is what I'll be sharing from in just a moment. So friends, I especially encourage you to stop, take a minute now and read out loud your Bibles with those around you, especially Luke chapter 24, 33 to 53. Friends, let's pray as we come to think about God's word together. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word now, please guide us through it, quieten our hearts, Help us to see Jesus clearly and respond to him in the way we need to. Amen. Well, there are some events in our lives, some big things, which change, change the way our lives work almost instantly. Uh, things that create a new normal. Uh, that might be your wedding day. Maybe you can still look back and remember uh, two separate lives becoming one. You might remember the trickiness of navigating what that looks like. When a child comes into your family for the first time, things need to change. Or maybe when you retire, uh, you need to rethink what happens as you get up in the morning. These changes leave us asking, what now? What now? Or what about at a global scale? I think back, September 21, 2001, two planes crash into a building in America and it changes things around the world. Or even just two years ago, we remember in January 2020, the United Nations put out a a global warning for COVID-19. Less than two months on and our major cities, they're in lockdown and it sends shockwaves rippling out even to us here in the country. Our easygoing, pretty casual lives, they're sent spinning, aren't they? Things change almost overnight. Now, whether at a personal level or at a global level, there are these big events that rapidly change things for us. And the question we're left wondering when it happens, whether in our head or out loud, is what now? What difference does it make? The pandemic, getting married, having a child, retiring, what difference does it make? What's the new normal going forward from here? Well, friends, uh, we've just come off the back of Easter Our last Sunday, we celebrated not only Jesus' death, but his resurrection as well. The tomb was empty. He's risen. But what difference does it make going forward? Jesus started with a a small, close group of followers. But now, nearly 2,000 years later, there's, there's hundreds of millions of people all around the world who are living their lives for him. So what changed then? What's the new reality after that resurrection of the first Easter? Well, the empty tomb, it does mean something. Jesus wants his disciples to know what it means. And in this final section of Luke we're looking at today, Luke 24, we find the answer to the question, what now? We see the new norm. We see that Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, he leaves his followers with gospel and missional instruction. Now for any of this to mean anything, Luke knows that something needs to happen first. So as we get in to verse 33, point one, 
believe in the real bodily resurrection of Jesus. Now, last week was Easter Sunday. We saw the women. They came to the tomb and they found it empty. But there were two angels there, two angels that said those big words of Easter. He is not here. He is risen. Well, the scene closes we saw last week with the women and the disciples. They're all confused, still not, what, still not sure what to make of this whole situation. And now there is a section between what we looked at last week and what we're looking at today. It's famously called the road to Emmaus. Two of Jesus' followers. Now, not part of the inner 12, but two others. They start to walk from Jerusalem. They head west about 11 k's. And they speak, they speak to a man as they walk on the road. And it's only after inviting him in to sit down and eat with them that their eyes are opened and they realize this is the risen Lord Jesus with them. But while they're eating, he disappears. And so verse 33, our passage, it picks up straight after this point. Have a, have a read along with me. Verse 33 to 35. They, that's these two followers, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what that what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Right, so these two men, they see Jesus, they run off back to Jerusalem to be with the other twelve and they link up with them and they start swapping stories about, about seeing him risen. And you can imagine the scene looking on, the inner ring, the, the eleven now are here saying, it's true, Jesus has risen. Peter's seen him. And while there's this great buzz in the room. Look at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When Jesus is, they must have been burning. They were speaking about him. And now suddenly, here he is. Uh, John's Gospel tells us that the, the door of this room was locked. And so, I mean, it seems like Jesus' resurrection body doesn't have quite the same limitations as ours do. And it's a little understandable then the way that the disciples react. Have a look at verse 37. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Just like an empty tomb. Just like the road to Emmaus. There's confusion. They don't know what to make of this. And so Jesus responds. Verse 38 and 39. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Well, then he goes on. He shows them his hands and his feet. He eats a bit of fish to show them. He's not a ghost. He has a real raised body. But we're told in verse 41, even while he was there in front of them, they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. Well, I wonder if you've ever had one of those, it's too good to be true moments, but where it actually was true. Now, maybe you've won something big before in your life. Maybe it's when you wake up on your wedding day and you have to kind of pinch yourself because it's finally here. Or maybe for you, it's because your team has snatched victory in the grand final in overtime. 
It's all led to this moment. Maybe you didn't think it was going to happen, but it has. Your dreams are now a reality. It's these kind of moments that, that leave your, your hair standing on end. It gives you goosebumps. It's too good to be true, but it is. That's what the disciples are experiencing. Jesus is risen with a body. The tomb being empty on Easter, it means something. Uh, there were some in the early church who, being influenced by Greek philosophical thought, they claimed that, well, Jesus only came back with a, a, some sort of heavenly spiritual body because they thought that everything spiritual was good, but everything physical was inherently evil. And therefore, Jesus couldn't have a real body, no, just, just a spirit. Some people, even today, they treat the resurrection as an allegory. It's not something real that happened for Jesus. No, it, it rather it describes something that happens internally for us by faith. Jesus has risen in our hearts. No, no. Luke records this so that you know that Jesus was raised to life with a real physical body. If Jesus was only raised spiritually, it would mean half a victory. Now, Jesus' death was physical and bodily. And therefore, a complete victory over death requires a physical and bodily resurrection also. And his, his bodily resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection on the last day. It's not merely event, an event in the life of Jesus. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that his resurrection is the first fruits of ours. His resurrection, it drags ours in its train, if you like. If your faith is in Jesus, his full bodily resurrection is a guarantee that you can have confidence in the future for yours. That you can have hope, even in the face of death. Well, uh, with his real uh, bodily resurrection before them, Jesus has the attention of his disciples like he never has before. And so now he proceeds to tell them the essentials for the new community of followers. The essentials that would, for what would then become the Christian church. So point two. Jesus equips the church with gospel and missional instruction. As we look now at verses 44 to 49, you'll see four ways that he equips the church. And they answer the question that, well, the questions that the, the disciples no doubt had in their minds. What are we supposed to be doing? Where are we supposed to be going? What are we meant to be about? What are we for? So here we are, four things. Firstly, he equips us with a way to read the scriptures. Jesus equips us with a biblical theology. Verse 44 and 45, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Now the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, they represent the three major divisions in the Hebrew Bible. And Jesus is saying, it's all about me. Now, when I say biblical theology, what I mean is a way of understanding the Bible as a whole so that we can see God's plan of salvation as it unfolds step by step by step. It's reading the Bible on its own terms, according to the story that God is telling. That's what biblical theology is. You see, Jesus coming as the Messiah, 
who would die on the cross to defeat death and Satan and bring forgiveness of sins. It's not, it's not an adjustment. It's not an amendment to God's plan through history. No, this is the fulfillment of what God has been doing all along. Jesus has always been God's plan. From the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, where we hear of the serpent crusher, to the promises God makes to Abraham and his descendants. From the Passover lamb in Egypt to the sacrificial system we heard about in our Old Testament reading that the Israelites were given to deal with their sin. From the promises to David for a forever king to the coming day of the Lord in Malachi. From God's ruling king of justice in the Psalms to Job's hope for a redeemer. There is no part of scripture that doesn't bear witness to Jesus. There is one common unifying thread that's woven all the way through both the Old and New Testament. And you might remember, uh, I said a few weeks ago, I asked you what the connection was. What was the relationship between the Old and New Testaments? Do you remember? I told you that it was promise and fulfillment. That's the relationship, Old and New Testament, promise and fulfillment. In case it wasn't clear, in case I wasn't clear, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, of all the promises and expectations. It's all about him. And so here in verses 46 and 47, then he says, he says his suffering, his death, his resurrection on the third day, the forgiveness of sins that he brings, the gospel going out to all nations. He says, these are all things pointed to throughout the Old Testament. And so here we're told that Jesus opens his disciples' minds so that, they can, so that they can understand it. And as we read through the book of Acts, Luke's next book, we see that, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the disciples do get it. They do get it and they preach it. They preach Jesus from the Old Testament. And Jesus equips us with a biblical theology, a way to read every part of our scriptures. Now, the second thing that he equips his followers with is a missional purpose. Look at verse 47 again. He says, one of the things the Old Testament points us forward towards is repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now, the good news, salvation through Jesus, it's for everyone, everywhere. And this is an amazing task that he graciously calls us, his church, to be a part of. Uh, the mission of the church, the mission that God gives St. Augustine's here in Inverell. It's not to be an inwardly focused club, but a community that reaches outward. And so how are you going, engaging the community with the gospel? Your friends, family, your workmates, how are you going? How are we going as a church, reaching the community with the gospel? Now, the Outreach Workgroup and I are going to be continuing to encourage you to think about this over the next few months. And not because just we want to grow as a church, not just because we want to reach the next generation. And that's that's a thing. That's an issue. But because people need to hear God's love for them. People need to hear the forgiveness that's found only in Jesus. And so we see that Jesus equips his church with a missional purpose. And now the third thing that he equips his church with is the apostles' teaching. He says to these guys, verse 48, 
you are witnesses of these things. And by these things, he means his life, his death, his resurrection. And notice that Jesus doesn't say that they have witnessed these things. This is something that's happened. No, he says, you are witnesses of these things. This is who they are now. Now, through the Old Testament, they become known as the apostles. An apostle just means the sent one. These guys, they're being sent out with authority from Jesus. Now, for us, what truth are we to believe as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and have as our foundation? What truth are we meant to make known to the world around us? It's the teaching of these witnesses, these apostles of Jesus. Now, a side note, this is what makes up the New Testament. If you ever wondered why we have the books and letters that we do, it's because they're either direct words from these eyewitnesses of Jesus or of those who have been corroborated by these witnesses, like Paul, like Luke here. Jesus equips the church with the apostles' teaching. And now fourthly, we see that Jesus equips the church with the Holy Spirit. Have a look at verse 49. He says, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now in John uh, chapters 14 to 16, Jesus makes it really clear that once he leaves, God's Holy Spirit himself will come and dwell with them. The Holy Spirit will be a counsellor. It will be a guide for Jesus' followers. And when we get to the, the opening chapters of the next book, of Luke's next book in Acts, we read how the Holy Spirit came upon them and how it empowered not only them, but all followers of Jesus. It equipped them to understand the gospel and it equipped them to be bold in sharing with others as well. In fact, we see that the Holy Spirit is what works in someone's life to bring them to, the, to understand the gospel and have faith in Jesus in the first place. And as it indwells us, it seeks to conform our life to be more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the power of the church. As C.S. Lewis said this about the church, he said, unless it possesses the, this promise of the Father, that miracle working power of the Holy Spirit, the church is nothing without it. And Jesus equips us with the Holy Spirit. So here we are. He's equipped us with these Four things, four things that should be a part of the new norm of the church, the new norm for followers of Jesus. He's equipped us with a biblical theology, a way of reading all of our Bible. He's equipped us with a missional purpose. He's equipped us with the apostles' teaching. And he's equipped us with the Holy Spirit. But I think the natural question as we look at these things and think about the situation at the time is, Why? Why does the church need these things? Why does it need to change? Why the change? Well, the answer, he equips the church with these things because he's not physically going to be around. He's leaving. And so that brings us to point number three. Worship and praise the one now seated in heaven. Have a look at verses 50 and 51 with me. When he had led them, out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. Well, here we have a, a decisive close in one chapter of history. 
and the beginning of another. Jesus has gone now to sit at the right hand of the Father, exalted to the highest position, to his rightful position, where he reigns and he'll continue to reign and intercede for us until he comes again in all his heavenly glory. And while there, he continues to speak to us through the apostles, through the scriptures, by the Spirit. Yes, Jesus was resurrected, but then he went back to be with the Father in heaven. In the book of Acts, Luke also expands on his brief description of the ascension here. We find out in Acts, Luke tells us that there was actually 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. Where Jesus, he appeared to more people and he gave more instructions. And let me encourage you, in your quiet times, if you're looking for something to read, start reading through Acts. Uh, It'll be a great benefit if you do. But right now, I want you to notice what the disciples do after Jesus' ascension. Have a look, verse 52 and 53. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Do you hear that? They worshipped Jesus. Now, worship for the Jews was something reserved for God and God alone. And to worship something other than God at the temple was the greatest of abominations. Now, whatever the disciples thought of Jesus during his earthly ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension now has convinced them that Jesus is God. And Jesus is worthy to be worshipped as God. Jesus is he's, he's not a God, all right? Jehovah's Witnesses will try and convince you that Jesus is a God. No, no, no. Jesus is not a, a lesser divine being created by God, like the early church heretic Arius tried to push. No. Jesus is God. Now, perhaps like me, you've been reading through Luke's gospel and you've been frustrated with the disciples, frustrated that although Jesus time and time again told them who he was and what's going to happen, time and time again, they didn't get it. But now, with his ascension, the disciples finally understand. Jesus, he's not just a man. He was God on earth. And so now they bow in praise and worship of him. During the time of uh, the English Reformation, in the 17th century, the Presbyterian Church, they developed a question and answer style uh, summary of the Christian faith. And the first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now there is a purpose statement for our lives. And like the disciples, seeing the crucified, risen, and now ascended Lord Jesus should lead us to great praise and joy as well. And so I want to ask, I want to ask you, uh, who or what does your life say that you praise and worship? Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's your house, your lifestyle, your car, your child, your grandchildren. I wonder what it is. Your pets. Or do you praise and worship the risen Lord Jesus alone? Now, friends, as we engage with all the scriptures, as we look to grow in Christ as a church, 
as we act in love and service to one another, as we take seriously the missional purpose of the church, these shouldn't be things that are just a, a head or a hands activity, but something that stirs our heart to praise as well. As we are captivated more and more by the risen and ascended Lord Jesus, and the Lord who was bodily raised and who ascended, who left the church with instruction for mission and the gospel. With the, ascend, with the ascension, uh, all of Jesus' disciples finally understood and they bowed in praise and worship of him. This is where the gospel ought to leave us as well. Praising and worshipping the ascended king. Friends, may that be the difference Jesus makes in our lives. May that be part of the new norm of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are good and kind and loving. And you love us most clearly when you sent Jesus. Father, thank you that he died, that he rose and that he ascended all for us so that we can have a relationship with you. Father, help us to see the new normal, the ways that he's equipped us as a church. Help us to rely on these things that he's given us. And Father, help us in our lives to make, the, to make you and the Lord Jesus the sole object of praise. Not ourselves, but you, Lord. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, let's go to a time of praise.
Well, we come now to a time of prayer. Uh, and so, friends, I encourage you to pray. Uh, don't not pray. Take a moment now. Uh, there'll be a little blue screen that comes up in a moment with some prayer points to, uh, with a few things to encourage you to pray for. Uh, you can be praying for yourself. I'll be praying out of the things we've been thinking about in our passage today. I'll be praying about our, our communities. I'll be praying about our country and our world. There's plenty of things we can be praying for. Plenty of things that we can be praising God for as well. Uh, so friends, please take a moment to do that. Let's pray. And then we'll go to a time of praise following that. In a moment at the end, there'll be a little slide uh, that if you uh, would love to support uh, financially the work of St. Augustine's Church, uh, you're able to do that through the links there. 
the bank account details are there. Friends, uh, one of the ways that we praise God is not just with our hands or our minds or, or our lips and our hearts, but we actually praise him with our wallets as well. And so I'd encourage you to be praising the Lord in that way. Uh, friends, let me finish uh, with by encouraging you with the words that we find at the end of the book of Jude. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Have a great week, friends.